Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So, done and dusted for another year. Charlie Eccleshare from the Telegraph and myself, David Law, are here after Novak Djokovic won a fourth Wimbledon title, beating Kevin Anderson 6-2-6-2-7-6. And we are the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with the Telegraph and with Amazon Prime Video UK, the home of the US Open in the UK from next month. And I suspect, Charlie, Amazon Prime Video UK are going to have a pretty special Grand Slam to cover after what we've witnessed from Novak Djokovic here because he is back in the mix and of that there is no doubt. Djokovic is back in the mix definitely uh, and Andy Murray might even be back by then to add some intrigue but uh, yeah Djokovic the, the big three you know they're all looking looking good again and um, yeah this has been a statement couple of weeks from Djokovic. I, I thought today uh, he he ha- he just came out where and left where he'd left off in the previous rounds. Really, the speed with which Djokovic had his eye in was was pretty mind blowing, and I think it I think it knocked Anderson's confidence immediately. I think he was the absolute worst opponent for a tired Anderson. You know, Djokovic is is almost sadistic in his ability to just get everything back and say you know you've got your your limbs are creaking well here's another low shot to try and deal with he just honed in on that weakness right from the first ball broke in the first game and just never let up he was just so zoned in right from the very first shot that, that thing of his him being able to put the ball on the baseline just time after time after time and and even when you think you've got him, even when you think you've nailed a shot, his recovery is going to put you on the back foot again. And and you could see that in some of Anderson's body language. How how many times do I have to win a point? Yeah, there were a few times where it, it really looked like you're not the stuffing out of him. And I think it's the, the Djokovic anticipation, which is so, so good. It means, I was talking about this yesterday, you know, you finish a stroke and the ball's back at you before you finished. And, and for Anderson, you know, especially early on, I think he so wanted, you know, a couple of games, maybe a couple of easy holds just to settle, get his eye in, and absolutely none of that. None at all. He just doesn't give you that, does he? How big a factor do you think the, the fatigue was for Anderson? I mean, You've been in his press conference now. Did it? Did it? Did it seem a factor? He, he uh, there's this unwritten rule, you know, in tennis. You don't want to blame 
a defeat too much on an injury or fatigue, whatever it was. But he, he alluded to it, and I think he was saying yet yeah, the the impression he gave yesterday was that he. Sorry, the impression he gave today was that yesterday he was in a pretty bad way. I think mentally as well. I think he was really having doubts about whether he'd be able to step on court. And it sounded like he had some conversations with medical staff, um, you know, about how he was feeling and about the sense of playing and that sort of thing. So I think as well, mentally, just having that uncertainty, you know, that you're... It must have been so difficult for him because obviously on one hand, you want to be excited about the, the fact that you're playing your first Wimbledon final. On the other, you're so preoccupied with your weariness and all that sort of thing. It reminded me a bit of Marin Cilic last year, you know, the, his first Wimbledon final, and he was laid low by those horrible blisters. And just watching Anderson in those first couple of sets, there are a few times where he looked really heavy-legged and the footwork just wasn't quite there, you know, and that's where you get really exposed when, especially this is what Djokovic does, he puts it in that kind of middle area, middle of the court, so you have to move your feet, and, and Anderson just couldn't quite. And I think in one of the games he got broken, there are about three consecutive errors which looked a direct consequence of just, just not having that footwork. There was a similarly awkward feel, actually, on the court to what there was when Marin Cilic was going through his blisters problems last year, and obviously being taken down as well by a brilliant Roger Federer. I think it's important to say that, you know, this wasn't just... Novak Djokovic benefiting from a weary opponent. These guys make you feel worse because they're that good. Um, but the the atmosphere inside the stadium was, here we are again. You know, three straight sets finals in a row at, here at Wimbledon in the men's singles final. And obviously Anderson's other Grand Slam final at the US Open was, was also pretty straightforward. And the crowd, they much as they respect the, the guy like Djokovic who's just relentlessly going about his brilliant business they just thirst for a, a contest don't they yeah it felt really flat the first two sets it was weird actually it was it was it was uncomfortable I felt really bad for Anderson and you know when he got the trainer out I thought is he, is he gonna pull out I'm glad at least that you know unlike um I mean Chilich made the third set I think it was six four last year so it was reasonably competitive this one was the third set was actually very competitive. And well, five set points. Yeah, Anderson had much the better of it. Djokovic didn't have a single break point in that set. Anderson had five. And, and Djokovic said both straight afterwards and then in his press conference that Anderson was much the better player there. Um, but yeah, the crowd, um, they, they played a big part, I think, in the third set. They were really geeing Anderson up. You know, every, every game he was winning, there was a point at the start where pretty much every point he was winning, it was like it was a British player. Um, so I think they, they, they helped him. And they just wanted to see a bit more tennis. Pretty emotional scenes at the end from Novak Djokovic. I, I mean, I think anyway, I think we, we saw that after the Nadal victory that, you know, he's, he's been through some low moments over the last year and a half. And I think that this same thing happened with Nadal, the same thing happened with Federer. When these all-time greats feel their own mortality uh, as sports people, it shakes them to the core and it's a really uncomfortable feeling and they, 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 they spy the end of the road I think and I think Andy Murray's had that over the last year and then when they subsequently achieve it's all that much more special I'm sure uh, I think Djokovic said that this one and his first one were the ones that mean the most to him despite the fact that he, he beat Roger Federer in two, the other two finals it's just the circumstance it's the doubt it's the it's the, the mental obstacles that have suddenly been overcome and all that hard work and an attempt to maintain self-belief have been, have been justified. Yeah, there was a feeling of kind of rebirth. You know, there is that uh, having lost something and then 
getting it back it, it does have a really profound meaning and you could see that and I think as well for him he has probably felt written off you know a lot of people have seemed to have been writing his tennis obituary and to come back achieve what he did today and and, and to have beaten Nadal in the semi as well, to have you know made that statement as well. I think it, he clearly was huge emotional because, let's face it, there will have been times where he, he will have questioned whether this moment was ever going to come again. Yeah, that, that, he, he did say that uh, after the semi-final. And then today, while he's receiving that golden trophy, and I tell you what, when you I sat in the commentary box watching the, that presentation... And, and I, it was the first time I'd really realised how incredible that trophy is. It just gleams gold. It's, it's, it's a spectacular sight. And when he received it, or when he was lining up waiting to receive it, um, or waiting to be interviewed, was the moment that he spotted out of the corner of his, his eye and heard his little son, who I think is three years old, screaming, Daddy, Daddy, uh, I'm here. And being that age, he, young Stefan wasn't allowed in, to watch the match. I think the, the rule is you have to be five uh, or, or above, and, and he's three and a half. And, and there he was, clapping eyes on his dad, and, and, and you saw Novak Djokovic, his first answer to Sue Barker. He was pretty overwhelmed by that. Yeah, it was a really sweet moment. His son, who looks so much like him as well, like an absolute spit. Um, and then he referenced it again uh, later and how much of an inspiration it was. He, he said as well that Stefan was the best hitting partner he's had in the last couple of weeks. Some nice footage going around. He then added to that, he said that he only, Stefan only hits forehands, but he's, he's, good at, he's good at his forehands. But, um, he's the Del Potro of three-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, I love that idea of him playing inside-out forehands, just running around his backhand. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've seen that with uh, Federer as well, you know, the inspiration that he's had from that. Um, and it clearly, uh, that must have added to the emotion as well. You know, it's the first one that his son, I think, will remember, if he does remember this one, which hopefully he will. Um, so that will make this one, you know, extra special as well, probably when Djokovic looks back on all his Grand Slam titles. We've had this very strange situation. We've had it throughout the tournament of the, of the clash with the World Cup. And certainly on, on our radio station after the first set in a bit we moved over to the world cup final covering france and uh, and and croatia and our, and our coverage moved over to the secondary station same thing happened on bbc tv i think for the first time it moved over to bbc2 um does that ref- reflect in the coverage of of this particular final or 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 um, do, does what does the tone i wonder of of the of the coverage given that you've got the story of Djokovic's return and yet a, a relatively undramatic actual match. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, for for today, to for the Wimbledon final to really have wrestled with the World Cup final for everyone's attention, I think it did need to have two big four members. You know, I think everyone was waiting for the Nadal. Federer final, um, you know, or even Djokovic, Federer would have, would have had that same appeal. I think it, it was a shame... It was it was a real shame actually that on Wednesday, you know, the the first really great day we'd had here was then then clashed with the England game, so got a little bit overshadowed as well. Um, I think it for, for most people today needed to be a bit more than a Djokovic Anderson, and especially the way it panned out, as you say, third year in a row straight sets uh, Wimbledon men's final. Mm. So. We move on now to the US Open in the distance. There are other tournaments before then, of course. There's um, the, the Canada tournament and then Cincinnati. But it feels to me like this is 
this is actually what tennis needed in a way. Mm. It needed the reintroduction of, of Djokovic and eventually it could do with Murray. I know that, look, I know these guys can't go on forever. They're in their early 30s, but there's no reason why they, injuries permitting, shouldn't have longer in the tank. We know that Federer and Nadal have still got it, more or less, at the, the very top level. And it does quench the, the thirst, doesn't it? It doesn't quench the thirst. It sort of gives you the thirst for... It whets the appetite. That's what I was looking for. Uh, you know, we had a, a couple of days ago here on the Tennis Podcast, we were getting very mixed up between um, uh, strong as an ox and stubborn as a mule. And we were saying somebody is as stubborn as an ox. Now I'm mixing up my uh, expressions in terms of anticipation. Uh, and as Novak Djokovic walks past us right now, having just done his interviews uh, with BBC Television, he looks a very happy figure. He's getting a round of applause as he walks past. And, uh, I mean... How come I don't look that healthy and fresh after I've gone a 10-minute run, Charlie? And yet Novak Djokovic has just walked past having uh, fought out several long matches over the last uh, few days, and he looks absolutely fine. Yeah, fresh as a daisy, three days straight having played, uh, and he looks, yeah, absolutely brilliant. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it sets up uh, the US Open very, very nicely. Just, And I think um, it had slightly reached the point, hadn't it, with Federer and Nadal, they split, what, the last six Grand Slams between them? Which, there's, there's almost a saturation point, even with them, where you do just need a little bit of a variety, I think, unless you're a kind of such a partisan Nadal or Federer fan. I think for most observers, it, it felt like we were ready to have something slightly different happen. And now Djokovic being back in the mix just adds that extra level and, and amazingly now if he wins the US Open he's joint with Pete Sampras um, for the all-time major list and then and, and you think sooner or later Djokovic will get clear of that and then you've got the top three of all time playing at the same time which would be unbelievable yeah and actually because I think we had our first meeting of the big four since the start of 2017 with the Federer Nadal Australian final and it was that Djokovic Nadal match and it was so amazing it really does remind you doesn't it what that group bring and and how much we've missed it and and it, you know we could get more of it now we so want more of it yeah that match was we were talking about it yesterday weren't we just it did just remind you of of how on a different level they are and especially especially those three when they play they seem to all lift each other it's very rare that there'll be a match between those three and it's a big letdown certainly not at the grand slams anyway um and you just hope that the US Open is lucky enough to have one of those maybe this could finally be the Nadal Federer US Open the US Open could do with something big actually because it's had a it's had some rough ones uh, recently and um, uh, in terms of disappointment at not getting the matchups that yeah. it thought it was going to get it's never had a Nadal Federer and they still they still hope you know of course <laughs> they do um, but just just looking ahead to that and looking ahead more generally in men's tennis, you've now got Federer on, on 20 slams, you've got Nadal on 17, you've got Djokovic on 13 now. He moves ahead of Roy Emerson, he's one behind Sampras, so they've won 50 between them, those three, which is, which is mind-boggling. <laughs> um, do you think that either one of Nadal or Federer are catchable by Novak Djokovic at this stage in his career? He's four behind Nadal. I think he Djokovic could win another four, possibly. Though I would, if I were to put a bet on whether he will or won't do that, I would say he wouldn't quite do four. And I also think 
the problem he would have with trying to catch Nadal is I think Nadal isn't done yet either. I think he's he's certainly got at least one more in him. Um, and then Federer, I think, is just a little bit too far away. I actually think Nadal still has a chance of catching Federer more than Djokovic to Nadal. Yeah, because it's hard to imagine Nadal not winning another French Open, isn't it? I mean, you could easily imagine him winning two or three of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> the interesting thing will be, and I think you touched on this the other day, at what point Federer quits how big a lead you know it's almost like a bond villain you know <laughs> at what point do you you know you want to make sure the killer's 100 percent sure they never do they always leave the door slightly ajar how many is federer does he have to be clear before he quits you know it would seem almost careless you know oh i'll just leave nadal i've got a lead of four and then nadal's gonna be like right dog with a bone i'm going after these four with federer out the picture so um he might just carry on as long as Nadal does. You know, <laughs> I'm not quick till you quit. I, I, I just think that they are. They they all love the game. They all love competing. You saw the appetite from those two yesterday, and they're all just going to ring out the every last drop, aren't they, of potential in their game? So, champion is Novak Djokovic here at Wimbledon. His fourth Wimbledon title. Um, it, it's it's been. It's been a special championships, I think, in many ways. Although uh, the coverage has been taken away, obviously, by the World Cup, I think that that has lifted elements of the atmosphere in the country generally, and that's probably um, something that we've all fed off. But also this weather, I mean, the, the, it's just... It's been a really special summer this so far, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think um, they have gone hand-in-hand hand to an extent. I think back to the, the middle Saturday and... England had beaten Sweden, um, summer's out, everyone was buzzing, and the start of that Edmund Djokovic, I know he didn't get the job done in the end, Edmund, but he won the first set, and it did have that real summer celebratory feel, and um, you know, Serena touched on it, that there was just something a bit different about this year's championships, I think yeah, the combination of this glorious weather, which means it will be one of those wheels that back on as a championships, just for that reason, and then the World Cup factor, and just the buzz that there was, the feeling that there was possibilities of crackling in the air and uh you know and it didn't come home in the end but we, you know we, <laughs> we we believed and we believed in Kyle Edmund there for a few days um and uh, we believed there was going to be a Federer and Nadal final and I, and I think it, it, it the tournament did catch light as well I think we were you know going into the second Wednesday we wondered certainly on the men's side when's this going to really kick into gear and then bang it kind of all happened as it tends to do at once um and yeah. that was all very exciting. Kyle Edmund is already in Umag in Croatia on the clay about to play the next tournament. That's what tennis is like. Uh, I've been to that tournament a number of times, met my wife there. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> Kyle Edmund is going to be there trying to win the title. And uh, he he is somebody who you feel as though on this sort of surface at US, the US Open, he could make an impact there. Yeah, he's had great results there before, hasn't he? I mean, he um, he reached the fourth round a couple of years ago. Last year, he looked like he was going to get the fourth round and then wilted in the heat. Great game for that. Perfect. Um, and the last few... This year, the last few tournaments have shown... It's certainly... When you talk about getting to semi-finals, finals far more open than it used to be. Yes, it's at the very top. At the winning, it remains a, a very closed circle. You know, it's, it's more Big Four dominated than ever. But we've had debut semi-finalists um, at the Aussie Open. We had Edmund Anshin. French Open, we had Cecchinato. And then we had Isner here. So there's definitely a chance for Edmund to go deep there. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. So, Carl Edmund isn't the only British player who's been in action throughout these championships, of course. In fact, there were a couple that are involved here on the final day. One of them was Jamie Murray in the mixed doubles alongside Victoria Azarenka. However, they ultimately came up short against Alexander Payer and... Melikar, his partner. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and they played particularly well. So, Jamie Murray, disappointment for him. But Jack Draper's an interesting one, isn't it? He, he actually really pushed his opponent far in the, the, the boys' final, which I think most of us were not expecting. We weren't expecting it, and we certainly weren't when uh, he lost the first set in no time at all and just looked a bit rabbit in the headlights as well. I mean, you know, we should add the caveat, he played an epic of his own in the semi-final, so physically he was a bit shot as well. But and in Seng, he was up against a really yeah. high quality, it looks like, opponent, somebody from Chinese Taipei who I think he'd already won one of the slam uh, juniors at the French Open and he'd reached the Australian final. Yeah, and, and it looked a little bit like he was just being outclassed. You know, it was um, almost like a, a men against boys type thing. But then he, he very nearly lost his serve then at the start of the second set, did Draper, but he... He dug in and uh, took it to a tie-break and then came alive in the tie-break and he was really you know, doing lots of getting the crowd going, big fist pumps, quite a lot of swagger. Uh, he won it with a really nice kind of forehand up the line and was you know, whipping the crowd. They were loving it, responding really well. And then it was a bit of a seesaw third set, a few breaks, um, and he, he just couldn't quite get over the line. But he, he looks like one to watch. He's, got, you know, he's only got a bigger game. Um, you know than his opponent and you know he big serve big forehand he's 6-2 um lots of confidence you know doesn't seem doesn't seem overawed i kept 
calling him Scott Draper. Do you remember Scott Draper? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Kind one of, Queens, one, Australian. One Queens, exactly. And that thing about a little knowledge being a dangerous thing. And I did a piece on him earlier <laughs> in the week. And I was about to hit send and had written Scott Draper. And I saw it, I was like, wait a minute. Am I confusing him with that fairly obscure Aussie from the 90s? And I checked and I was. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Um, it's the the transition period for him. I mean, he's only sixteen. It's always interesting, and uh, I noticed Mike Dixon tweeted today that he'd done really well, but perhaps it wasn't such a bad thing that he didn't actually win this one. Yeah, we were talking about that in um, the press room earlier, and it, it does bring a certain pressure, doesn't it? And you look at Laura Robson, who we spoke about the other day, and um, yeah, maybe he could just do with not having that sort of millstone around his neck a little bit and the final still a great achievement and he can go away and build on this but he's got to develop now hasn't he and, and i mean I, I i was talking to annabelle croft who has obviously gone through this process herself she was a world number one junior she found the tour too tough frankly and she she says mentally it was just the the big problem for her she said was that she was constantly focusing on results mm. and you know when you first make that transition to the main tour you do a lot of losing and the losing is mentally very tough to deal with and I really sympathize with that and empathize with it you know you are constantly having these setbacks and she said that what well, if she could have that time again she wishes she would just focus on trying to become a better tennis player every day not worry about wins losses at that age you know just become better and maybe that would have helped with the transition pat cash was was in with us he was obviously a top junior as well and you know he was he was just not i don't want to say concerned but he's aware of the pitfalls particularly coming from this country where we get very excited about somebody doing well in, in at a young age and and yeah make a lot of it and then it's it's up to that individual to cope with it and I think there's now this, you're hearing more and more about players going down the American college route um, and how good that is. And, and I think that's definitely something that more of our youngsters should think about. Cameron Norrie did it and speaks in, in glowing terms about the effect it had on him. You know, just, A, you've got something else to fall back on. Um, and it just takes you out of the limelight at such a young age. And, and we saw as well here the semi-finals between Isner and Anderson, two players who went down that route and, and are also very, very positive about it. So I think it's something for for more British players to consider as well. I think particularly given if you consider that Kevin Anderson is literally twice the age of, of Jack Draper. He's 32 and and this has not happened for him as a prodigy. Um, yes, just because Boris Becker won Wimbledon at 17, that is no longer what happens. No, not at all. It's The demographic's completely shifted. I mean, when I was growing up watching tennis, Martina Hingis won three of the four slams at 16. Those, those days are gone. Your players are peaking at their early 30s. Isner and Anderson are two great examples of that. Yeah, no, it really is a very good example of it. A word for last night's doubles champions, who were Mike Bryan and Jack Sock, which I find just a fascinating combination. They won through five sets, absolute epic again. But for a start, Mike didn't have his brother... Bob, who was injured, and then you've got Jack Sock, who's this strange combination, isn't he? I mean, he had a great season last year. For many people, he's the world's best doubles player. I mean, he, you know, he. Whenever you see him play doubles, he's absolutely sensational, um, and yet he can't hit a barn door in singles at the moment. My, my desk got really excited about Jack Sock earlier in the week when he you know, said to his opponent at the net, "You know, your coach is a piece of expletive," and so I did a piece about him and how he's kind of the the bad boy of tennis you know he's quite a divisive character and I spoke to him and he actually 
he came across well and was basically saying that he's he, he's misunderstood. He gets riled up in matches, but he's not a bad guy. You know, up for debate. On the playing side, it is strange that he is in such a bad period or a bad moment, as uh, foreign football managers say, um, currently. Singles, but then doubles, he comes alive. His confidence, like yesterday, some of the volleys, reflex volleys he was hitting, and he was, you know, dancing around the court. I mean, it reminded me, Kiki Mladenovic had a similar sort of malaise, didn't she, in singles, but found her feet on the doubles court. But there are, I mean, yeah, very few better players than him in doubles. The way he volleys, the way he moves, um, just a really strange tournament of him that it started on such a sour note and finishes he's Wimbledon champion for a second time. I, I also think it, it shines a bit of a light on, on, I think you've written a piece in the past about the mental health mm. of tennis players and the stresses that they're under. And doesn't it shine a light on the fact that if you're on the doubles court, You've got somebody for company. You've got a friend. You've got a partner. You've, you're in it together. Whereas it's such an isolating experience to be a singles player in tennis. It's such a horrible, lonely place, and you you start getting down on yourself. You start you lose any sense of self worth, and you know you're you're in an industry. This is what it's so easy to forget. Just bottom line, and a few of the players I've spoken to about mental health say is that you have a number after your name the whole time. That is a really really strange and very draining thing and then added to that your income is to a large extent I mean obviously their sponsorship but it's dependent on your results that's an also a huge pressure to have you know all your income is about how you perform day in day out and it just gets on you you can become overwhelmed by it and for someone like Jack Sock who you know in his match he felt in that singles match he felt that his opponent's coach was you know was getting on top of him and, and you can just explode you know it can be something that that pushes you over the edge and and the way the tennis calendar works you're constantly defending points as well and so he'll know jack will know coming up to the end of the year he's got all these points and it can be very frazzling for a player and i think there's there's some people might be listening to this and saying frazzling for a player you're playing tennis all day you're traveling around going to these lovely places well unless you've done it you don't know and yes there are some wonderful trappings to being a tennis player and the money can be very good but well we see it with our own eyes and we've we've got there's some serious cautionary tales out there aren't, aren't there about the damage that that it can do if players don't look after themselves and I, and I do feel that and it gets back to this treatment of the of the young up-and-coming players they've got to be looked after or got to be given some preparedness for for, for mentally for for what's required out there yeah, I mean, the WTA and the ATP are trying to do as much as they can, encourage players to come forward. But I spoke to well, a few players about it. Rebecca Marino, who quit because of depression a few years ago and is, is now trying to mount and come back. And Steve Johnson, who's been really open about this stuff since his dad, who is very close to, uh, died last year. But what they both say is, you know, they they would be very willing, very happy for people to approach them and talk about it but it is still a taboo subject in the locker room and, and the problem is tennis is such a mental game we know that so players don't want to show any frailty because they think it can be perceived as weakness and it might be taken advantage of by opponents so you do have players keeping this all in um, and just building up to the point where they they can't really cope anymore so we need to get to a point obviously these societal issues as well where people do feel comfortable talking about it it's not seen as you know oh he's weak he you know he's earning all this money and he you know he's whinging or whatever it's, it's not how it works it's it's any in any environment and bear in mind as well and, and Naomi Cavaday 
who's very open on this and said to me, you are constantly jet-lagged for a start. You're, you're, you're never in the same time zone for any length of time. You've got all of those pressures. You, you might have other people depending on you financially. So you're just, you never really get time to settle and you miss, you're constantly missing your loved ones, you're missing big events, and, and that can weigh you down. And the money doesn't always compensate for that. No, and the, and the other addition to, the, to that scenario is that every player these days is encouraged or thinks that they should be on social media and that is just an access point for the outside world to have a go at them and and the people betting on tennis matches who lose on them uh if they if they're not successful just rubbing it in by being abusive and and there's some horrible stuff out there uh and and yeah i'm glad that the tours at least are aware of it uh, and are trying to do something about it well and the thing with the social media that was uh, running alongside the mental health piece was a piece on the, the social media epidemic and it's Nicole Gibbs was really interesting about this she said actually the, the worst thing is not the death threats which amazingly I mean just just that you saying that I mean yeah. I'm listening to that what, what do you mean death threats I mean it's absurd after pretty much every match every tennis player will receive death threats if they've lost or even if they've won because someone's put money on them and they'll just say you know I'm going to kill you you stupid whatever you've 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 lost me this amount of money you know and that's pretty much every match but what nicole said the what was even worse was when people pinpoint something about your game you know the thing you're already most insecure about and will say something like that serve you did at 30 40 4 3 was awful you cannot serve your serve is terrible why are you even still playing and when you're already having those thoughts you know you're these tennis players they question themselves worse than anyone and then someone else reinforces that and, and picks up on that thing it's just how then you then pick yourself up and you're in that situation again in the next match and you've got that thought running through your head and it's, it's just brutal yeah it is and uh, yeah we hope that that can can be sorted out or at least players can be educated as much as possible about how to use social media and, and hopefully these social media platforms can put some measures in place to, to try to stop these people in the tracks but yeah it's, it's fascinating Charlie I mean these pieces are still online you can you can find Charlie's pieces on these subjects that they're really worth having a read because you went properly undercover with some of these and spoke to the people that matter and they're in-depth pieces and well worth having a read so Charlie uh do you get a break now or what? <laughs> in a, yeah, uh, there will be a little bit of break, a little bit of downtime after. And then, it, and then it's transfer football season and all that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The Sports Canada never ends. There's always something. Could be worse. Could be worse. It's been lovely to have you with us. Yeah, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. It is always a pleasure to have Charlie and Simon Briggs and all the other guests that we've had. Mary Carrillo over the course of this week. We're, we're always just so pleased to have her with us. Catherine Whittaker, of course, who's uh, here with us virtually every day not today uh, but she'll be back very soon here on the tennis podcast next week we're going to bring you our listeners questions special which Catherine and i have already recorded which was guest edited by our executive producer melanie bows uh, so we, we've got some really interesting subjects covered in that uh, do look out for that then we'll be back with our weekly show of course covering things like uh, toronto montreal cincinnati and all the other tournaments in the lead up to the u.s open uh, where we will be 
daily, of course, here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and sponsored by Amazon Prime Video UK, who will be covering the the US Open for the first time, the new home of the US Open on television in the UK. We are, of course, executive produced, as I said, by Melanie Bowes, by TennisBalls.com, by Triple S. Uh, We're sponsored by La Manga Club. We've chosen our winner in Tennis Podcastaways. That'll be on social media soon. Voted by Pat Cash. He's chosen the winner uh, for us. So uh, that's that's going to be fun. And, uh, of course, Charlie the Ferret is our mascot. We love having him. Uh, I saw him in his little T-shirt the other day watching the, uh, watching the Wimbledon final. And, well, all I can say is to you, thank you for listening. We know you, you don't have to. Uh, you, you keep downloading this show in, in your thousands and you send us some lovely messages. We really appreciate it. Um, there's no point in doing it unless you listen to it. So thanks for doing that. And leave us a review if you've enjoyed it uh, and tell everybody you know. Then we can make it grow even more. So thanks ever so much and we'll speak to you soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.